0: Hey guys, David Chen here. Just wanted to let you know that in this week's episode where we review Ghostbusters, we have spoilers for the film starting pretty close to the beginning, so if you want to stay unspoiled, maybe best save the review for later. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devinder
1: Hardware. And Jeff Kanata.
0: And welcome to the show ladies and gentlemen... Uh, If you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at at gmail.com. Today, we're going to be discussing what we've been watching, uh, discussing some of your emails. And then I think we're just going to dive straight into our review of Ghostbusters this week, uh, for which we are joined by Vanity Fair, uh, senior Hollywood writer, John Robinson, uh, very talented writer and podcaster, going to join us for that review. So really looking forward to that. Um, But, uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, we got a response to some of your emails. Uh, Firstly, I just want to acknowledge that we got tons of tweets about uh, the guest we had on last week for the Neon Demon, Britt Hayes. Uh, I I would say it was a polarizing appearance, but overwhelmingly (laughs) reviewed it in rapturous terms. Like they thought she was great. And uh, certainly we really appreciated uh, her presence on the podcast. So thank you for your feedback on that front. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. This email comes in from Gavin at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Gavin writes in, Dear Slash Film, I'm a longtime listener from Sydney, Australia. Love the show and the chemistry between all of you. But after listening to every show for quite a while now, I'm still amazed and seriously disappointed that amongst all the shows that you rave about on Netflix and Apple TV, you have never mentioned anything about the groundbreaking show... Orphan Black. Uh, I have tweeted Jeff about this a few times with no reply or reaction. Shame on you, Jeff. No, I'm just joking. Um, Tatiana Maslany's performance alone should be enough to want to watch this original series. It's incredible and an actor's masterclass to behold. Shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. How could you not have been talking about this for the past four seasons? I'll just uh, end the the. Yeah. Uh, shame, it just keeps going. I, I, I shame. Say, it, just, it just shame for another like five
2: minutes. So. To this listener, uh, I did talk about it a couple times during the first season. So I wonder how much of a loyal listener you actually are. Oh, uh, shaking the but shamer. They, they are totally right. It is it, her acting is fantastic. Like, have you guys heard like about what she does? Yeah, I've this? heard she
0: is amazing. I just it just haven't yeah. haven't gotten around to it. I have too it's much stuff to watch. It's, to it's
2: very content. bingeable. It is one of those. It's a sci-fi show about clones and like weird sciencey stuff I don't think the show overall holds up um, just narratively and everything but she is great so it's really fun to like see where they take the plot I am somewhere in season three still need to keep watching
0: speaking of bingeable we got this email from Ben from Indianapolis who writes in the slash filmcast gmail.com Uh, Long-time listener, I was just curious if there was any chance you guys would do a Stranger Things bonus episode, a la Making a Murderer last year. I don't think I've ever been more attached to a TV show in my life. I binged the thing in one day, which is amazing for a millennial's attention span. It seems to be something up your guy's alley as well, so bonus episode would be a real treat. Either way, thanks for all the free entertainment. I hope to be someone who donates when I'm not a broke college kid. Thanks for the email. Ben from Indianapolis. Uh, Jeff Kanata and Devendra, I I don't recall a single week— in which I have received more tweets (laughs) about a single TV show or film than this week about Stranger Things. I I would say it's in the dozens of
1: tweets we got. 100%. I have gotten (laughs) more people – urging me to watch it I, I have watched the whole thing we'll talk about it and what we're watching I've watched the well, whole thing I was
0: going to segue into it right now Jeff so,
1: oh well good segue then yeah we're, I know I'm so so gonna, yeah we got, just setting it up
0: Jeff come yeah, on yeah no. so I, I mean we got so many tweets and uh, Jeff you finished the whole thing Davindra, how many episodes are you in
1: I
2: am I think I'm like halfway through I'm on episode 5 or 6 right now uh,
0: I'm halfway only
1: there's only 8 of them
0: so. yeah there's yeah, only 8 yeah. episodes so it's very, it's very bingeable I am uh, halfway through episode 2 so I finished the pilot I just wasn't able to get through the second episode for time reasons uh, scheduling reasons. But uh, yeah, Jeff Canada, you've watched the whole uh, series, Stranger Things, season one on Netflix right now. And uh, what did you think of this show?
1: Well, I, first of all, I, I definitely understand why people reached out to us uh, to talk about it and, and, <laughs> and to me in particular, too. I, You know, I feel like <laughs> we made a show called the totally rad show, uh, many years ago. And really it was like a celebration of this, you know, this is, this is what we, the sort of the aesthetic of the thing that we loved. It's the eighties. Right. And, um, the thing that, that this show does so well is it feels like the eighties. It doesn't, there are a lot of things that are set in a time period or, uh, are meant to evoke a time period, or you know, uh, show you what it was like then, or whatever. But this this show somehow manages to feel like it was actually made then. You know, it, it is so authentically of the '80s in its DNA. Like it, it is just, it feels like the things that I loved when I was a kid and watching those things.
0: I, is everything sort of, except for the look, I would say. When I say yeah. the look, I mean just the cameras that they use. Like the, it's, it looks pristine in a way that shows from the eighties it, don't look. You know, sure. yeah, yeah, they didn't it shoot it on. V, like they the they moment, didn't sure. shoot
1: it on VHS or anything like that. No, it, no, no. Yeah, I think it looks. Yeah. watching it in four K. You know, yeah. it's not something that was possible. <laughs>
0: oh, really, either. Jeff? You have a four K TV? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Know. No, it's,
1: it's glorious, glorious. David. Yeah, uh, nice. you should really get one. Nice. Um, the uh, yeah, but but I mean, I think the the show is exquisitely cast. It is uh, it is evocative and it's homage, but it doesn't feel pandering. It doesn't feel like uh, you know that '70s show or something where it's like, "Hey, remember this?" It just sort of is is grounded in that world. And while there are tons of little "Remember this is" and even big plot points that are just straight up lifted from stuff we remember from the '80s. It still somehow manages to to, to hold together and be it, unselfreferential. You know, it, mm-hmm. it it's honest. It's it's sort of just, uh, it it's not winking at you at any point. It's just sort of earnestly telling you this '80s story, and the show really is two very '80s tropes running in parallel. There's the like Goonies, uh, E.T by way of stand by me story with the kids, you know, it's sort of, uh, Steven Spielberg by way of Stephen King uh, on, on one parallel track. And then the other parallel track is the teenagers in nightmare on Elm street. Right. And John so Carpenter, like yes. so, so
2: much of that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's like the teenage movie and the kids movie and they really don't overlap until the final <laughs> episode. and, It's a really interesting thing where you're really watching two disparate films about two very different strange things happening. Uh, And um, I don't know. I I, I kind of wasn't too happy with the way that those parallel things were completely parallel. And I think the – ultimately the end is not as satisfying as I would like it to be. But I thoroughly enjoyed the experience of watching the show, just because of like the kids are lovable. The the cast is it's just so well cast. Yeah, the
0: the kids are great. I mean, it's so easy in these shows for kids to be incredibly cloying or grating. Yeah, Uh, and I I I experienced none of that. I thought they were perfect.
1: And especially the there's a young girl who has to you know act weird, and so often kids have a hard time doing that, you know, because they're kids and they don't. They're not actors, right? Uh, and she somehow really pulls it off, and is mm-hmm. is that you know strange creature from another world done very very subtly and nice.
2: Yeah. I love the uh, the kids like within five minutes of the first episode because they they start them off in a very familiar geek setting, and <laughs> normally that also feels kind of cloying and annoying, but they feel like kids. They're just like natural. they just feel like kids hanging out and not just stock characters from an eighties movie. So I was actually not. Um I like some of the trailers going into this uh, and uh, but I wasn't like looking forward to seeing it. Uh, very much like during the premiere weekend. Uh, But then people did start talking about it. I was worried it was going to be another Super 8 situation. And my big worry there is like, you know, that movie is effective for what it is, but it did feel hamstrung by its 80s-ness, by its like desire to be so 80s. And here it's like they have some of that set dressing, they have the references, but it's entirely its own thing. It feels more like a modern show. Uh, that just happens to take place in the 80s, uh, but at the same time, it has some of the tropes that we kind of enjoy. So I love all that. Love to, even simple things like the uh, the the opening theme song. Which yeah, is just so like so great good. John Carpenter synth, um, uh, the kind of yeah, the, the font for the title, which feels like the font Stephen King always uses yeah. for his N- name Needful in books. things, needful yeah. things, yeah, exactly, go. yeah. Um, there you go. Stephen King actually tweeted
0: in support of uh, the show. Uh, he said that it feels like kind of a greatest hits of Stephen King, and he means that in a good way. Uh, so yeah, th- th- what a that
2: what a, compliment. a great humble brag. By well, the way, what a compliment because... <laughs>
0: for the Duffer Brothers. Like if you imagine yes, if you're yes. them, they're the showrunners. Like hearing that tweet, you'd probably be like, "Wow, that's amazing." Yeah. Do um, you guys
1: know? Is, is this going to be a anthology show? Is it? Is it? Uh, is it going to be heard. like American Horror Story, uh, where each season is a new thing? Um, I
2: haven't heard anything. Yeah, not clear. I, yeah, I haven't finished it, so I don't know if I want like more of a conclusion for these kids. But hopefully, like I do like the idea of anthologies. The nice thing about American Horror Story, even though like uh, most of the seasons haven't been very good, the idea of like you know, just starting fresh, maybe with some of the same cast in a new setting is kind of appealing. Yeah.
1: I, I have to say, um, I, you know, I, I feel like this show for me it hits a lot of really wonderful notes. And it, it was a thoroughly entertaining experience watching. I watched it in two days. I couldn't stop. It was it was really good. Ultimately, it, it wasn't a complete home run. Uh, there's tons to like about it. And it, you know, the the idea that these kids are playing Dungeons and Dragons, and you know, it's me. It's a show Mm -hmm. about me as a kid, and and I I think that's, you know, it it really tugged at that nostalgia for me. And it, it it was of those things that I grew up loving, and you know, the it's got that great Goonies esque sort of like we'll cobble together a solution as 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 young kids. And there's tons of stuff to like about it, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it wasn't a complete home run. I I wasn't satisfied with the ending. I'm anxious to talk to you guys more about it when you finish. But, okay, yeah. it, you know, it, I, I'm hopeful that there's a second season that's completely different from mm-hmm. the story. What I
2: like about it, though, is it doesn't feel like something that just was made for kids, too. Like, it is, oh, not it at is all. a rough show. Like, I, some of the dramatic elements, there's, you know, um, Wynonna Ryder playing a very strung out single mom. And, like, some of the things she has to deal with, the older, her oldest son, who has to, like, take care of her and deal with that. What a great actor. By the way, like he is just he does great stuff throughout this show. I like the idea that this is a very mature series that just has some of those elements from, you know, the movies we grew up with. Here's my question.
0: One and a half half episodes in, does Winona
1: Ryder's character get more bearable? Because she gets worse.
0: She gets crazier. I
1: love, love, love what she is doing in this show. Mm. She is. Has created a character that is a woman I totally knew growing up. The mom who's like completely ill-equipped to deal with crisis. Like she's jittery and and, and flighty and completely can't handle when something doesn't go wrong. I knew that woman. I've mm-hmm. met that woman. And it, it feels like such a creation on her part. Like that, there's no part of Winona Ryder… In there, it it, it feels like this this jittery, shaky, weird thing that she came up with. And I am, and especially I think that is driven home when you see a flashback of her before the crisis, and she's Mm -hmm. completely normal. Uh, It's I find that performance to be unbelievably cool but
2: yeah if you if you don't like what she's doing at the beginning uh she she ramps it up let me i can just say that gotcha yeah,
0: yeah I, I think she's a great actor i just think that role was just tough for me and i think it's intentionally tough but maybe yeah. maybe a little bit too tough for me personally part
1: of the thing that i didn't like too much structurally about the show is how so much of it is told through flashbacks and the, all of the flashbacks are invariably motivated by a thing and it mm-hmm. just got a little much like oh a Coke can that reminds me of the Coke can. <laughs> it's a it's a, bit, it's a little losty or, yeah.
2: or the way the West Wing used to do flashbacks. But I I like that I like flashbacks. Who hasn't had a flashback at a Coke can, Jeff? There that's
0: you go. A question. Uh, so that's Stranger Things. That's what you've been watching, Jeff. And uh, we'll probably do an After Dark about it at some point. Anything else you've been watching, Jeff?
1: No, no. I mean I, I was thinking about bringing up uh, uh, there's a VR experience that came out today called Trials of Tatooine. That uh, allows you to be inside Star Wars for about five minutes. It's pretty pretty cool, but and it's free. Mm-hmm. That ILM put it out, um, but it, it's very brief. But it's pretty darn cool. The Millennium Falcon comes down. You hear Han Solo's voice inside, telling you you're standing on the desert of Tatooine, telling you that the. Empire is coming to get you, and there's TIE fighters that come overhead, and stormtroopers come down. And then R2 D2 comes down the ramp and gives you a, a lightsaber, and you get hmm. to wield the lightsaber, deflecting laser beams back at stormtroopers. Pretty cool wish fulfillment, and to be inside that experience in VR is pretty neat, and it's free. Um, and it's an official ILM product that came out of their VR lab.
0: I like how you started by saying I'm not going to tell you about this, and then proceeded to tell us well, in excruciating I realized, detail. I realize about
1: Excruciating it? detail. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So,
0: how can people how can people get access to trials and tattooing, Jeff?
1: I'm uh, not going to talk about it.
2: <laughs> well, first they need to build a kickass computer.
0: Then, they need to buy an HTC Vive. Is it a a Vive or or is it an Oculus thing, Joe? It
1: is Vive exclusive for now, and it is only available on Steam, but it is free.
0: Gotcha. Uh, That's Trials on Tatooine, Vive, Steam. That's what you need to have access to that experience. Uh, Speaking of experiences that are difficult to get access to, I want to just talk briefly about uh, this thing I saw at the Benaroya Hall in Seattle, Washington, uh, played by I think the Seattle Symphony It was Fellowship of the Ring The first film uh, With live orchestra And nice. two choirs Performing the soundtrack along to the film
1: Two choirs? Isn't two that choirs. just one choir? It's like one really big choir Jeff it's a two, it, There's no such thing as two choirs It's, <laughs> it's,
2: it's, it's like one Voltron? choir It's separated. like
1: the front of okay. <laughs> Alright Jeff Whatever you want Whatever you
0: want. And Gotham and Metropolis are separate cities in Batman v Superman.
1: That's um, like saying there's this – I saw this great band of, of a bunch of individual musicians. <laughs> it was
0: these two bands, a drummer and a bassist and a singer and a guitarist. <laughs> these two
1: two-pieces got together and, and it
0: um, so for those who haven't been, basically, they play a version of the film on a big screen, at least for this experience, and uh, there's, like, subtitles. So you can hear, like, oftentimes the music will drown out the dialogue uh, mm-hmm. on screen. and But that's what you want because you paid all this money to listen to all these live performers. Uh, and it was an awe-inspiring experience unlike any I've ever had before in my life. And if you have the opportunity to see one of these things – in my opinion, it is worth the money. It is worth saving up for. It's worth spending it on that babysitter because especially for Fellowship of the Ring, I mean that is just one of the great movie scores of all time. Yeah, I mean of we, we agree. Of yes. all of all movies yes. ever, yes. it is one of the best scores. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was awesome about it too is that you hear – like it's so well put together. Like there's a, the Council of the Fellowship of the Ring when they, or the Council of Elrond, whatever it's called, when they're all like deciding to form the Fellowship, and when Aragorn stands up and says something, you hear in the score the like Return of the King uh, theme that doesn't like come back for another two movies, and it just happens at that one moment in this film, uh, and you know, hearing it live really gives you an appreciation of small touches like that. Uh, But just incredible. The the performers were amazing. The choruses, the two choirs were amazing. And there were soloists as well that did a a knockout job. So... I just wanted to give a brief shout out for that kind of experience. Have you guys been to that kind of experience before? Where they do? I've
2: been meaning to. That has happened a couple times in New York. Uh, the closest thing I've done is uh, seeing Clint Mansell live and seeing him play some of his things live. That is also one of my favorite uh, movie and music experiences. So he's uh, he plays all over the place. So definitely check that out. But I do want to see this. So thanks, Jeff, uh, Jeff Canada. You done anything?
1: The Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, they do that uh, all the time, right? In, in Los Angeles, does it? And you know, I worked at the Hollywood Bowl for seven years. So uh, I saw I saw many 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 things like this, and it's always really really a neat experience. Uh, mm-hmm. One I highly recommend as well.
0: I will say, just very, I don't want to get into the whole thing about this with you guys, but I will say, <laughs> watching this movie again, uh, the flaws. It's not that good. It's and, not that and, good. I, don't I know, guys. I, I will say it has it has um, <laughs> some pretty significant problems. But I, here's what I really like about the movie. Firstly, I think the special effects largely hold up in a way that I don't think the Hobbits will hold up as well because I think they use a lot more visual effects uh, or they use kind of different style visual effects in in those films than they do in Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, there's a lot of practical stuff. Like, they pulled out every trick in the book Mm -hmm. when they're doing the force, like, the um, people of different sizes in Fellowship Mm -hmm. of the Ring. Like, you have Gandalf next to uh, the Hobbits and it's like, they use force perspective, they use, like, digital compositing, uh, they use body doubles. They freaking use body doubles to do uh the hobbits you know it, it's, it's it,
2: funny like just looking at the two, like looking at the hobbit series and looking at the movie you could tell like where they actually spent a little effort cuz right. the hobbit so much of it was like green screens and like sets and not like very real location
0: yeah and there's so much practical in mm-hmm. uh in fellowship of the ring it's it's really impressive like how hard they worked and and then and then actually you you go back like rewind your mind to that time of when that movie came out and how nuts it was for yeah. a New Line yep. to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. This is like pre... That, the,
2: this movie is partially why we became friends, Dave. Like, yeah. <laughs> dishing <laughs> yeah, over true. this movie, remember? Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. Yeah, Fellowship of the Ring came out in 2001. Yeah. You know, and that's like pre-Iron Man, you know, pre the modern day era of like, n- you know, nerds dominating pop culture and fantasy and all this stuff. Uh, pre-peak TV. And the idea that they're going to spend mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars making these three films in a row, back to back... That they have no idea if it's going to work at all, and just I just the practical things they had to overcome. Like, hey, mm-hmm. if, you know, there's all these different creatures and they're different sizes. And by the way, they need to have bare feet throughout the whole thing. They need to look like they have bare feet, so we need to design a foot that you can actually use <laughs> to traverse like rough terrain, but it needs to look like a real biological foot. Yeah. Uh, just like basic things like that. And that they, they need did. to
2: trudge through snow. Yeah, it just is, is
0: yeah. not like it, mm-hmm. I, I, I totally. You know, the Hobbit films. I did not think they were great. I know Jeff liked them a lot better than I did, but you just still really appreciate how insane and how talented and how visionary Peter Jackson had to be to get this off the ground.
1: So mm-hmm. I remember very vividly. Uh, Reading the one ring.net on the ramp up to these movies coming out. Yeah, and and for years the years the one ring.net would Report on how these films were going and it seemed impossible It seemed impossible that anyone was gonna make a version of Lord of the Rings that wasn't terrible and The casting that they would and I was me like they got Ian McKellen. Are you (laughs) kidding me? That's insane and uh, elijah wood uh, i don't know but the elijah wood is frodo that doesn't make like i i remember all of that all of that reading it incessantly on the ramp up to these movies coming out mm-hmm. and just being sure that they were going to ruin it and it was going to be terrible and yeah it, it is a miracle that three movies got made like this uh instead of just kind of cram it into one movie or two movies or whatever it's a miracle that the, the time and energy was put in. It's a miracle that all the casting kind of worked out so perfectly. It it just is wildly improbable. And people that live in our current fantasy-rich media environment, I think it's hard to recall how that wasn't the case. Lord of the Rings changed everything. Yeah. The one-two punch of Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter books changed everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it, it's like – even though I think like from a storytelling perspective, the film is quite problematic, the uh, the technical elements still shine through and and the core of the story, right? The core themes are really what still get to me and still move me. the uh, the friendship between Sam and Frodo, and the idea that uh, it's only these hobbits who are considered useless by society, uh, but like you know, just, just not doing of anything of lasting importance are the ones that are able to carry uh, this ring to its you know, final resting place. That's still... They, they got those things right, you know, and they nailed those things, and that stuff still carries through, uh, if, you know, even to today. So anyway, Fellowship of the Ring, live with an orchestra, really incredible experience, and if you have any opportunity to see something performed live, especially if it has more than one choir... Perhaps two or three choirs. <laughs> the really, the out.
1: more choirs, the better.
0: Yeah, there's a linear relationship between number of choirs and, and quality. In fact, if you can get a choir
1: of choirs, <laughs> you're really, really doing it. You're well. really cooking at that point. Yeah. Other
0: thing I just wanted to mention, The Night Of, which is a, a miniseries airing on HBO. Uh, I think Stephen Zellian is uh, one of the showrunners mm-hmm. of, of this uh, series. It's based off a British TV series, mm-hmm. and it stars Riz Ahmed – as a guy who gets himself into some trouble. And John Turturro as a guy who's trying to get him out of some trouble. Uh, and this show is awesome. I, I really yeah. like it a lot. Uh, Devendra, have yeah. you seen the first two episodes?
2: I've seen the first episode. Uh, I really need to see the second one. I didn't know that was up already. Um, but yeah, I love the the vibe of it. I, I also just love nice, slow crime shows. And it has some of the elements of the killing that I really liked. But I think a little a little more polished. Um, I can see, I can see why people would complain about it being over directed because it does feel like it goes a little too far. Uh, but I really love Riz Ahmed. I just love him in this. Uh, he's so great. I'm, I mean, do you believe yeah. him as a college student? Because I think he is yeah. thirty. He's over thirty years old in real life. <laughs> he's a young looking dude. He looks a, like a kid. Yeah. I mean, in uh, in uh, what was the movie? The Jolene Hall movie, uh, 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 Nightcrawler. You know. Nightcrawler. In yeah. Nightcrawler, he was pl- also playing like a really young dude too. And a completely different, different ethnicity. So kind of love how brown people are just like so interchangeable. But he is fantastic. He is so like um, uh, empathic – like you empathize with him immediately. And I think it's – he has like these puppy dog eyes. So he's like this good guy who's in a really bad situation and you, you're you rooting for him. Yeah, and, and, uh, and so the thing is in, in the first episode, he,
0: he d- makes a series of increasingly bad decisions that are stupid. And yet at the same time, I could believe – that that character would make those decisions, you know, and that's yeah. to that's to his credit. So uh, anyway, uh, the night of great show, Jeff Canada. You heard of this or uh, any interest in watching it?
1: Oh yeah, it's definitely on my radar. Um, I haven't gotten around to. I think the first episode is ninety minutes, which was a little yeah. intimidating to you know just pop on, but yeah.
0: It puts it's the proce- it's- I would say it puts the procedure back in procedural in the sense <laughs> that like. Every element of the, you know, criminal justice system is on display here from uh, like cops just eager to get off their shifts to like mm-hmm. people dropping balls because, you know, oh, I thought you were in charge of this inmate, you know, like that kind of, like it's almost wire esque in that way mm-hmm. where it just like, really delves
2: into the nitty gritty of what it is actually like to be part of this system. But I don't think it's very organic. Just from what I've seen of the first episode, it's. Uh, you can definitely see those scenarios, right? Where they, where they can come back and be like, oh, what do you do with this evidence? Uh, why, why did you take the prisoner, not me? <laughs> and it does feel like you see them setting up the pieces for them to knock down later in a trial or something. Um, but I, I love the vibe of it. And I'm a, you know, as listeners would know, I'm a sucker of drawn-out crime shows. So, yeah, yeah, I'm all for this.
0: That's The Night Of. It's on HBO right now. Before we move on, got to read this email from Pappy in Dallas. Pappy writes in with subject line, Jeff Kanata and Preacher, the giant elephant in the room. Pappy writes, dear Slash can we talk about the giant elephant in the room? Jeff Kanata <laughs> loves comics. He grew up reading comics. His favorite comic book series of all time, Preacher. Fast forward to today. Kanata loves comic book properties on TV and in films. He goes into an MCU movie knowing he'll like it, and even if it is terrible, like Iron Man 2, he likes it. Yet he refuses to watch Preacher. What? His stated reason is that he's scared of what they'll do to his favorite com- favorite comic series. Come on, that's a complete cop out, and you guys need to take him to task on it. Uh, anyway, I'm gonna. He goes on here. Consider uh, yourself took. Pappy in Dallas uh, goes on to express his discontent here, but uh, yeah, Jeff Kanata, there is a Preacher television series and apparently you have not watched it yet well, what reviewed. is the deal yeah.
1: i know I, I i know i know uh i think it's i think it's a little different than the mcu stuff because as much as those things are kind of based on specific storylines, like Preacher has a beginning, middle and end. It's, a, it's yeah, one yeah. story, right? It's a little bit different than like, oh, we'll take all these Iron Man stories and turn them into a thing or we'll take Civil War kind of and then make this movie version. It's a, I don't know. It's, it's a little different for me for that. But, you know, I take his point and I, uh, I do intend to sometime watch it <laughs> and I appreciate that I've heard really good things about it. It just – every time I've sat down and looked at it on my TiVo, I go, uh, nah, I'm going to watch something else.
2: I, <laughs> You're like yeah. – you just want to delay the expected disappointment, really. Yes,
1: exactly.
2: So that being I said, Devendra, that.
0: this is on your – what we've been watching list this week, right?
2: Preacher yeah, the mean, TV I, series, now on AMC, right? Mm-hmm. And I talked about it a bit when it premiered. Uh, I like the pilot and kind of where they were going. Uh, I think for the first few episodes, they were all over the place, right? Because they're introducing um, some big ideas. And not, like, really a consistent narrative. And I think uh, most of what's driving the show early on is, like, Dominic Cooper's performance and Ruth Nega and everybody else. Um, Great casting. Uh, There was an episode a couple weeks ago uh, that has, I think, one of the most creative and inventive fight scenes I've ever seen in television. And overall, like, it's a really fun episode that goes from some really dark places, so you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, Certain characters being sent somewhere... Um, I, I think like that episode. It took like basically five episodes for the show to really like come into its own and find its identity. Um, but that episode was so good. It is definitely worth like just watching the early stuff, even if you don't dig it. This is one of those shows where I have to say like, give it, give it a couple episodes, guys. Give it, give it four or five. Um. Because it, it definitely showed me something I hadn't seen before. And in the second half of the season now, I think we're on episode seven or eight at this point, um, it is going to some crazy and darker places that, now that we now have the rules work and everything. So it's not like a slam dunk like Game of Thrones season one was, but it's certainly like a very fun and interesting and faithful adaptation.
1: I also cool. think maybe this is one of those shows that feels more comfortable to just wait until it's all out and yeah. then go you know I don't know
2: it is weird how not many people are talking about it that's what's surprised like after all the like geek build up to the show um, yeah a lot of people are just kind of holding off which is weird well that's preacher it's
0: airing right now on AMC sounds like Devendra is a fan Uh, and that's going to bring us the end of what we've been watching we got to get to uh, our review soon. First, I just want to thank uh, all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Hannibal Odisho from uh, San Jose, thank you so much for donating to this podcast. If you want to support what we do here on the Slash Filmcast, go to SlashFilm.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page to contribute. Uh, before we move on, Devendra Hardware, there was a news story that happened last week that we did not mention and that uh, we felt really bad about not mentioning, right? Uh, A very beloved filmmaker passed away uh, last week, and uh, I I think he was one of your favorites, right? Uh, Abbas Kirostami? Kirostami, yeah. We reviewed um, Certified Certified Copy copy, back in 2010.
2: Great film. Jeff, have you seen Certified Copy? I have not. Oh, I
0: I think it's something you would enjoy
2: it'll break your heart like it is it is a walking and talking romantic movie similar to like the before sunset and everything films but it, it will also with a, twi- break your with brain. a twist yeah, with, it, yeah it is it goes all over the place he is I mean he, he I've seen a lot of his films I respect his work so much um, he died recently and it's 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 terrible to see like he's not going to be making any more things I, I just think he's had such an influence with some of his early films uh, close up uh, which is a film that I think kind of uh, pushes the narrative between like uh, documentary and traditional narrative to um, so many things. And he's uh, recently he had a couple other movies trying to think of the name uh, like Someone in Love, which is a really just unique take on um the love and identity in like a big urban city too he's a fascinating director he's influenced so many people and just want to say i'm sad to see him go so many of his films are easily available though like i think all of his early stuff which is on criterion are available through um hulu right now and certified copy is probably streaming somewhere it was on netflix forever uh see that movie that's a good introduction into his style um, and it's 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 just so fascinating He is one of the most humane directors out there I, I can't think of anybody who directs relationships And drama between people like him
0: Thank you for sharing that, Devendra And uh, yeah, thanks to the people who tweeted And wrote in about uh, that We really appreciate it And uh, yeah, great filmmaker uh, Like many talents this year Gone too quickly um, And he will be missed On that note, let's get on with the show And get to our review of Ghostbusters it will haunt you every night. Whatever it is, no one should have to encounter that kind of evil. Except you girls, I think you can handle it. Oh, oh good, thanks. We have a gift. We see what no one else is willing to see. We do things
3: others can't do. buses. If there's a paranormal problem, we're the ones to answer the call. Hello. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <gasps> that
0: was from the trailer of Ghostbusters, the newest film by director Paul Feig. It stars Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones. This is a Slash FilmCast joining us today. Uh, she is the senior Hollywood writer at VanityFair.com. She's also my co-host on the enormously popular Cast of Kings <laughs> podcast. Joanna Robinson, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Joanna, how are you doing today?
3: I am delighted to be here for this momentous pop culture occasion.
0: Yes, well, welcome. Thank uh, you. And uh, yeah, we, we reserved this slot for you months ago, so yes. I'm glad this is finally going down. Uh, so today we're reviewing Ghostbusters. Going to read the plot summary from IMDb following a ghost invasion of Manhattan Paranormal enthusiast Aaron Gilbert, Abby Yates, nuclear engineer Jillian Holtzman, and subway worker Patty Tolan band together to stop the otherworldly threat. So who would have thought, ladies and gentlemen, that when Ghostbusters remake was announced with four incredibly talented comedic uh, actresses
2: as the title roles, that it would become... The locus of a major culture war. There were inklings of this, um, if you'll remember several years ago, even before like news of this actual remake uh, was confirmed, right? There, there were rumblings that, oh my god, they're going to be women Ghostbusters, or at least well, women it, along with the team, and people were freaking out even then.
1: Also, you know, it's just the latest in don't make my superheroes black, don't yeah, make my yeah. this, Reactionary that.
2: Reactionary fandom yeah. garbage. Yeah. Right. Uh, So
0: before we get into all that that we just referenced, (laughs) why don't we talk about our feelings on the original Ghostbusters films? And I guess it it is a franchise. There's other things other than films, right? There's uh, an animated series. There's video games. Many animated Um, series. There's actually, I think, a a documentary called Ghost Heads. That's about all, all the different activities that the Ghostbusters have spawned over the years. Like people have chapters all over the country. Uh, so it, it's not just two films. But for the purposes of this uh, film podcast, let's talk about the films uh, and our feelings towards them. Uh, let's start with you, Jeff Kanata. I have a feeling you were a fan of uh, the Ghostbusters films.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, was right in the right age to make Ghostbusters mean a whole lot to me. Uh, it was at a time when there wasn't a ton of fantasy out there, and to have a fantasy concept that was as original and interesting as Ghostbusters, married with four main actors who are as charming and hilarious—well, I shouldn't even say four—the whole cast. I mean, Rick Moranis, Sigourney Weaver, the the whole extended cast of of the film is, you know, makes up my childhood in a lot of ways, and uh, there is probably no movie. I'm trying to think if there's any movie I quote more often than the first Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't think that's true. I, I It's part of my everyday vernacular. Um, <laughs> someone asked if you're a god, you say yes is a mantra I say all the time. Uh, <laughs> I mean there are countless – I mentioned this it, recently. It's that, endlessly
2: quotable, right? That's yes. just one of the things about that movie. Yeah,
1: the The whole premise for the Totally Rad Show openings began – because I said uh, this illustrious meal you see before you represents the last of the petty cash uh, <laughs> one time while we were eating, right? The, it, it, it is uh, it is in, intertwined in my very being. I love that movie. It is probably alongside Princess Bride, probably my favorite comedy ever, which is saying something because, you know, Monty Python and and Mel Brooks and uh, all. there's many, many, many great comedies out there. But f- because it hit me at just the right age, Ghostbusters means a whole lot to me.
0: How about you, John Robinson? Your thoughts on the original Ghostbusters films?
3: Mm, this is so interesting because I feel like the ghost for part of this podcast, the Ghost Bros are going to embrace me, and for part of the podcast, they're going to reject me. And this is this is the part where they reject me. Um, <laughs> I love Ghostbusters a lot, but I recently re- rewatched both. One and two, and I actually think two is a superior movie. I really, I know, I know, guys, I know. (laughs) I really love Ghostbusters two. I think it's, um, I think it's better use of Harold Ramis of Rick Moranis. Um, I love Peter McNichol. I love the goo stuff. Um, I love the Statue of Liberty Dancing. I know this is a deeply unpopular opinion. Though not though not as unpopular as I thought, because I put it on Twitter every weekend and a lot there are a lot of Ghostbusters two lovers out there in the shadows who are afraid yeah. to speak their truth. But well, I don't think they're uh,
1: afraid to speak their truth. I got shouted down when I said that Ghostbusters Two already screwed the franchise. So yeah. But
3: yeah, I mean like I don't know. I watched them. Both, you know, maybe I was just like a little older. I don't know. So they were just already both VHS classics for me when I was growing up, and it wasn't like one came came so many years after the other. And so I was like, oh, this this is completely lost touch with its roots. So I was like, here are these two delightful movies about ghosts and busting them, and I like them. Um, but I preferred the goo one, and I thought maybe rewatching it now as an adult, as a lot of people told me to rewatching like maybe you were a kid you liked the goo cuz you were a kid maybe that's why no i still love the goo ghost <laughs> 2 superior movie I the love problem
1: the goo. with the goo the problem with the goo is that they <laughs> What doubled, is the problem with the goo Jeff? The problem with the goo guys is that uh, they doubled down on the goo only because it had become a thing like right. it's 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 exactly what's wrong with sequels in general it's like the thing that became part of the zeitgeist they made the whole movie about that thing, and it, and it, that's what really bugs me about that.
2: There's also Vigo. Vigo is a lot of fun.
3: Vigo's great. The Carpathian? No, um, I I know what you mean, Jeff. Like, I was so unaware when I watched that movie of, like, I'm sure if I watch it now, I would be aware. And, like, if it all happened now in front of me and I would roll my eyes and say, oh, the goo's pink now, but it's still the green goo that everyone's been, like, buying. (laughs) That's Ghostbusters branded. You just want to sell more, like, goo at the store. So I I hear those concerns, and I'm just telling you that I was too young to be aware of them when I saw it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: How about you, Divinder Hardware? Your thoughts on the Ghostbusters films?
2: Oh, yeah. I love – so I grew up loving both movies for sure. Um, They were definitely one of those things. Like growing up, I didn't even have a conception of like what was Ghostbusters 2 versus Ghostbusters 1. It all just kind of ran together for me. Um, But, yeah, as I got older and became a grown-up, I – I definitely saw like how Ghostbusters one just did a lot of things. I think a lot better. I like Ghostbusters two a lot, uh, just from like something I grew up with and have watched so many times. Uh, but you can also see like how it doesn't quite work as like it, it has sequelitis, right? It has a lot of the repeating some of the same plots, uh, putting the guys back like where they were at the beginning. Like it doesn't feel like there's progress there. Uh, but still, a movie I really enjoy watching, so I don't outright hate it. Uh, it's unlike the situation I had when I rewatched uh, Wayne's World and Wayne's World two. And, my God, Wayne's World 2, just nothing about that movie holds up. At least, at least you know, elements of Ghostbusters 2 still work, I think. Uh, but, yeah, I love the movies. Uh, Ghostbusters is my wife's favorite movie. I just end up seeing it a lot because of her, too. Uh, and I still love them. I just rewatched the first one after uh, this new one. I'm going to make a statement that is going to serve to discredit me... I've
0: waited all with, week for this. ...with the Slash Filmcast audience and ba- basically any movie lovers, and, and that is the following. Ghostbusters 1 and 2, really fun films to watch when you're a kid and still movies that you know I look back on very fondly. Rewatched Ghostbusters 1 recently uh, this past week, and guys... I don't think it is any good whatsoever. I think it's
2: uh, whatsoever. I
0: think it's, it's a no. no I'm sorry, what? not whatsoever. Leave out the whatsoever. <laughs> it is an ugly film. It, it, firstly, just the look of it is ugly, but also uh, the main character of Venkman is not a role model at all. And sure. and in a way, it, like not even not a role model. The opposite direction, right? He is who I would describe as a deplorable figure. He's, a creep, but, but held up, he's kind of a creep. He's kind of a creep. He's lazy. He's an Sanders, asshole. He's not someone yeah. who... Neither
1: is Ferris Bueller. But that's, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, that, that's that's correct. But I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. I, I'm just saying that neither is Han Solo. Yeah. like, like
2: <laughs> Dave, you were doing the classic thing of looking at an older movie in the context of modern times and being like, oh... Just Does, doesn't hold up the effects, <laughs> uh, their approach to uh, culture and everything. And I totally agree. I think Venkman looking at him now through the lens of like yeah. you know, modern, you know, yeah, sexual culture, it's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of a creep, kind of an asshole. Uh, he totally uh, negs the girl until she sort of likes him. Uh, that's not great, but I there's so much else about that movie that works. Yeah, good. there's that's there's kind of what shocked the, me. The firstly, the, the,
1: tell him about the Twinkie, the Twinkie, <laughs> the Twinkie, so many things like
2: this the i don't know i feel like the script is just so tight the talent on screen like you put these guys together and you get magic and it's also rare for a movie i think to like kind of inspire the fandom that you know ghostbusters has and that's only possible when like certain elements really click you know
3: well, and i will say this i was watching i was so confused when this whole controversy happened why Ghostbusters mm-hmm. which was so important to right, certain right. kids growing up like I loved that movie but I would never ever call it an important movie to me and so when I was re-watching it this weekend I was trying to think like okay why was this important I was like oh these are nerd heroes like these are nerd heroes yep. way before nerd heroes were a thing like even I mean in the context of Revenge of the Nerds but these were like cool nerd heroes and uh, I, I can see why that was important and then you you know, fast forward to now, it's important to have lady heroes, and we'll talk about that. But, like, yeah. um, I was like, Oh, okay, I, I get why this is treasured by certain kids growing up. Yeah, okay. yeah. When I
1: was a kid, my favorite Ghostbuster was not Vankman, it's
3: Egon, I, you know, right? Egon,
1: Egon. Yeah. Egon. 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 well, Come actually, Ray. Ray is the well, heart Ray's of the great. Ghostbuster, That's ladies Ray. and gentlemen. The heart of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> right? That's the guy I identified with. I wanted mm-hmm. to be Ray Stance, yeah. Uh, And the the journey of that movie is that the cool dude recognizes that the nerds know what's going on. Like he's a cool guy the whole time and he comes around. The journey of the main character of that movie, just like the journey of Han Solo, is to realize that being aloof and disaffected and not, not earnest about anything isn't the right way to go. And he actually falls in love with Sigourney Weaver and actually cares about things and actually believes in something so it, it, it is completely uh, you know <laughs> in in opposition to your your you know, position yeah. on it.
2: So, Dave. tell us more, Dave. I want to I want to know yeah. more about why you think what you do.
0: <laughs> well, let me just say, there's many things I love about the original Ghostbusters as well. Like, uh, just firstly, the, the concept of it is pretty uh, amazing, and it's still something that clearly resonates today. Uh, a lot of the designs of the technology uh, they borrowed a lot of it for the new one, but they also expanded on it in interesting ways. But like, they had a really good foundation uh, on which to build on. Uh, but I guess I, I think that they just screenwriting crimes that the original film commits Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't forgive in a film that came out today uh like uh winston's character getting completely marginalized in the film that is
2: that is a shitty thing yeah that's one thing i'll say about the first movie yeah yeah it doesn't quite work you know
0: and uh i would say like the pacing and also like some of these character turns that you're talking about uh jeff i feel like happen rather abruptly it doesn't feel like a journey to me it happens like you know i i think there's a scene in the original where they look at uh they're looking for places to house the ghostbusters and uh in you know two minutes later the firehouse that they've looked at that was like completely run down and a tear down is completely renovated and looks fine and ready to go and i feel like yeah, yeah. that is emblematic of a lot of The stuff that goes on in that film—that just like, hey, these like, oh, we're down on our luck, scientists, and then all of a sudden, everything's going great for us, you know, in in, like a snap of your finger. And there's just a lot of stuff that I feel. All the montage, Dave. Yeah, it happens (laughs) before the montage, you know. I feel like there's there's just a lot of like shortcuts that the film takes um, that feel abrupt to me uh, when I look at them again,
2: you know. But it's also like, Dave, don't you think like? I understand that, too. I I don't like how Janine kind of comes out of nowhere because I actually want to know. I want to see what her uh, interview process was like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's something the new movie did pretty well because that's one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. I'm trying to hire this dude. Uh, I agree. Like, those things are there. But it's just like the elements that came together to make that first movie work. The idea of using, you know, the supernatural and making a supernatural comedy even was like a whole new thing. Like there's so many innovative things about the first Ghostbusters. Uh, I think one part of it is that um, Dan Aykroyd actually believes this stuff, guys, right? Like we were having this discussion before, kind of like how much we believe in the supernatural. Dan Aykroyd is there. He is full on there. And like, he's writing this as if he was writing like a documentary or something. I think that's sort of like authenticity that he, like of somebody who actually believes in everything here. Um, The authenticity that he brought to it kind of add another layer to it um the kind of high mindedness that Harold Ramis brought to the script kind of shows up there too but yeah there're certainly issues and we uh, um we've heard like how much um uh Ernie Hudson like how disappointed he was by the role right, right. did and you guys how, read that piece yeah, he, from yeah. him a couple years he ago he was
0: uh, supposedly that role was supposed to go to Eddie Murphy and then when that didn't happen his yeah. role basically got written out of the film
2: uh, like the day of shooting yeah, he he was he well, learned that. Oh yeah, you're not there at the beginning. Oh uh, yeah, you were.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, you know, they they seriously. supposedly started shooting with almost no script at all. Yeah, and it yeah. was you know it, it was kind of a mess. And the fact that this movie came mm-hmm. out of that process is kind of remarkable. It's
2: remarkable, not, but the the idea though that what we heard is that um, he when he read the script, he read something. Yeah. He read something <laughs> before joining this movie, and he read that he was going to be a fire pilot, and he was going to join the guys from the beginning, and he'd be actually a part of the team. And the first movie does feel like the Ghostbuster scientists and Winston. Right. And, he's still, and oh, definitely.
3: even, in, and even yeah. in the sequel with like five yeah. years to like train up and stuff like that, like he's more in it, but not an equal team member. And uh, I mean, that's that's one thing I do like about the sequels. I feel like the wealth is spread a little bit more between Bill Murray and the rest mm-hmm. of the crew. Like I think that Dan Aykroyd and um, Held Ramis get to do more. And I, you know, I think Ernie Hudson gets to do more, but still just not a lot. Not a
0: lot. Right. So, so Jeff, I may have been a bit too strong in my original language, you know, <laughs> but I guess I would say it's one of those movies uh, where you watch it when you're a kid and you're like, this is amazing. And I remember, I distinctly remember watching Ghostbusters 2 in the theater for the first time. And I had, I think I'd seen the animated series on TV and I saw a ghost trap on the screen. And I remember this, like decades later, I remember standing up in my seat and saying, mom, it's a ghost trap. Like, because I was so... Excited, you know, at actually seeing like a real life ghost trap versus just like an animated one, mm-hmm. and so these are movies that are Leaning certainly part the of my childhood for
1: some people in the in the row behind. <laughs> <it>. Seriously,
0: seriously, <laughs> I, David, I mean, I was behaving in a way that would have been
1: reprehensible to yeah. me now. Yeah, um, yeah, adult Dave in a, some kind of bizarre time travel experiment. <laughs> adult Dave is sitting behind you, going, "Who the hell are these people, and why are they bringing their kids to this movie?"
0: <laughs> so, uh, so it, it definitely is a beloved part of my childhood, but, it, but it's a movie where I watch it now, and I think to myself, ugh. I feel like I was way more forgiving back then in terms of the pacing, in terms of some right. of the character development, well, and in we terms all of were. yeah, in terms of Venkman yeah. being kind yeah. of a creep in a way that I would say is more objectionable than a Ferris Bueller or a Han
2: Solo. Um, uh, I so, mean, it, I think he's, so. he's, he's he's kind of a jerk. He doesn't actively <laughs> About, do anything to physically harm anybody. That's like, true. Kabir yeah. K- oh, go ahead, John. Have-
3: he just have thorazine on him for a date. <laughs> Kabir, with yeah,
0: Kabir Omerovich in the chat room says one thing that stood out for me was Venkman has drugs on him to put
2: Sigourney Weaver to sleep.
3: Yeah, so he's well, par- yeah,
2: you know, guys, he is a scientist. He's, <laughs> pa-
3: he's packing thorazine.
2: Um, Knowing yeah. that guy, like he has it for fun, you know, just
1: for him. <laughs> yeah, it so the, it was the Bill Cosby '80s guys. Oh, oh. Oh. Yeah. Too far, um, Jeff. Too far. I will.
3: I will say that yeah, I was probably like the crappy Ghostbusters fan. Because like I remember loving Slimer a lot, it was probably not cool to love Slimer. And <laughs> I, uh, I, my first memory of Ghostbusters is playing the game on my Apple II GS. It was definitely the first oh man game I ever played was <laughs> Ghostbusters on my Apple Two GS. So uh, you know it's part it's. Even if it, like, it wasn't my most beloved film, it's, like, knitted into the experience of Mm. growing up in these decades in in a a definite way, you know? And separate from the
0: film, my most beloved Ghostbusters memory is probably the high-C ectoplasmic-flavored
1: drink. Ecto-cooler.
2: That definitely for the sequel. Ecto-cooler.
1: Ecto-cooler, yeah. It's pretty amazing. What'd you say, Uh, Jeff? the, The... I'm not in in any way arguing that it's a perfect movie or that even those aspects of it are justified or stand the test of time in any way. I'm also completely incapable of being objection, <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, objective. objective about it uh, because it is, you know, it, it is.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: ultimately, for me, it's you're just having such a good time with these charming people that. It, you know the fun of it outweighs any kind of pacing problems or plot problems or whatever. It's it's a comedy first, and you know a a, a well constructed narrative second. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I would just say you know it's it's boldly original.
1: You know, just that this idea Absolutely. that there's these
0: ghosts, and then you need this like nuclear weapon that you shoot these things out, and you need to put them inside this thing, and it just uh, man, it, it takes- does
1: it does yeah. universe building in a really really interesting way right. especially at that time like yeah. the yeah. the way it sort of just accepts a priori that this stuff is happening all the time and and now we're just sort of working class blue collar dudes dealing with it is so much more interesting than the other direction which is you know a super secret government You know, scientists and we making it seem extreme or or um, super out of the ordinary. It becomes mundane really quickly in the movie. And I think that's what's so fun about it.
2: Mm -hmm, Right. For sure. And Dave, I take issue with you saying the movie is ugly uh, because uh, really that some of the effects definitely don't work. A lot of them are just like, yeah, 2D. Uh, some of the backgrounds are like 2D matte paintings, which I, I think look really good. The, the the actual effects of the proton packs look like they're just drawn onto the screen. But like, <laughs> dude, like they they created a whole new special effects studio just for that movie just to Did make they? special effects for it. Yeah, because uh, it, ILM was like the only one around right. back then. And they were kind of busy, like they were doing a lot of stuff in the 80s. So very, they're very hit or miss. How about that? Like, yeah, there are some of them really are love. great. Some of the, the- Skeleton, yeah, this ghost skeleton oh, stuff yeah. is great. Skeleton cab driver, yeah, come on. That whole the whole, the whole set for the top, the giant dogs. The, even though they look not great when they're moving, I like the concept of it. The whole set for the uh, the top of the apartment yeah. building, which is like you, you're trying to imagine like looking into the void of like the world of a god or something. And yeah, that's that's kind of a hard to, thing to visualize. And I think it, it did a really fun job of it. And those images, so many images from that movie are just like imprinted in my mind like uh, that's uh, to me that's powerful filmmaking the
1: burnt crispy marshmallow at the end that people have yep. to break out of is so yep. great it's so great Rick Moranis
2: is uh, uh, trying to get help from the uh, the you know snooty <laughs> dinner people like come on th- this movie is filled
1: of classic sequences that's, and scenes like that
3: can I just say that that's the only callback in the new movie yes. that worked for me <laughs> <laughs>
1: well it's it's too bad that we've run out of time and we can't talk about the new movie But uh, it's
3: all done. It's all see done. you guys Although, next Dave, week all right, Dave let's... I thought you
1: had questions about the
2: the ghost blowjob scene. Uh, and that <laughs> is
0: certainly a topic to uh, to discuss. That will be an after dark sequence. I
1: think. Oh, it yeah. we should talk. Watching about. your your uh, periscope? periscope on that made me so angry, Dave. I wanted to just like, teleport over there and explain. It's so in, it's so it's a friggin' dream sequence. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It's, a,
0: it's a dream sequence, but still disturbing
1: nonetheless it's anyway. disturbing but it's disturbing because that is the level to which this guy is like it's it's not disturbing because ghosts would do that it's disturbing because this is what's in this guy's psyche
2: right i agree
3: you know but like I, that i really hate that blowjob well don't hate that's yeah. too strong i just it doesn't work for me at all i don't think it's, it's, it's funny a,
1: it doesn't oh, work like i don't it's think weird it's good totally. yeah. i agree but, it shouldn't but, be in the, movie.
3: the gag in Ghostbusters 2 where they basically imply that they're fucking the goo uh <laughs> that does work <learn> for me. <laughs> I okay. think let right. Funny. Let's,
0: let's, let's get to that. Let's get so, to that. Um, but yeah, so, Joanna. No,
3: and, and Ghostbusters 2, I was talking
0: about. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, Joanna, I know that um, uh, on our other podcast, The Cast of Kings, that uh, you often need to take on the slings and arrows of uh, internet commenters, which, by the way, have, you know, in some way influenced the rollout of this movie. Um, so, going into this movie, like, what were you hoping for? And, uh, and what do you, do you feel like the movie lived up to your expectations?
3: This is what I'll say. I just wanted this movie to be good. Like, not, it didn't have to be great. I just needed it to not be terrible. That was, like, the the bar <laughs> it had to clear for me. At least give us that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, please don't, please don't make me deal with this movie being terrible. That will be <laughs> awful for me. Uh... And I think it was good. I didn't really like it very much. Yeah. And uh, and what's great about so many people liking it is that I can just say freely, <laughs> I didn't really like it. And it could just be my opinion and we don't have to worry about my gender. Well, we can worry about my gender. But, like, you know, we don't have to, like – it. like, I like that we all have our different opinions on this mm-hmm. podcast and we can talk about it. And
0: uh, So what elements it, did you not appreciate, Joanna?
3: Okay, yes. Um – for me, the rhythm of the comedy never really clicked. Um, I, I know a lot of people are coming out of this movie loving Kate McKinnon's performance. And I love her so much on Saturday Night Live. Uh, but I'm going to say a really snooty thing and say that I think a lot of people who are blown away by her in this movie haven't watched, like, all of her Saturday Night Live stuff. If you watch, don't like, do this, Joanna! <laughs> if you... do I, I've,
1: I've not missed a single episode that she's been on. So. No, I'm we'll not. I'm, I'm this, not... Is, this is your new version of, oh, you haven't read the book.
3: I'm not talking. No, I'm no. not talking. I'm not talking about every, not all, not all Kate McKinnon fans. Hashtag not all Kate McKinnon fans. <laughs> but I would say, I would say, a lot of people who are writing think pieces about like, oh, how Kate McKinnon is this undiscovered sure, sure. comedic genius, and I'm like. Well, she's been amazing on Saturday Night Live for all these years. That's Jeff and I both know, you know. And so, like, <laughs> for, like I don't think that she showed me anything in this movie that I didn't already know she was capable of. And, in fact, I didn't think her delightful weirdness blended with the other three. Leslie Jones has never worked for me. I have also seen all of her Saturday Night Live work. She's never worked for me in any context. Um and then I just don't think it made good use of Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wake, who are both hilarious in other contexts, but don't really work for me here. I loved Andy Garcia. I love Cecily <laughs> Strong. Um, I love – there's, like, a lot of things that I did love. And I really hated – all of the cameos except for Annie Potts and all yeah, of the call, yeah. and all of the callbacks. Like my, the most egregious example to me is that whole sequence of Nate Cordry doing a uh, graffiti on the wall of the subway station to get the Ghostbusters logo. It's so long. We all know where it's going. Stop it. Like it's not funny. So that bothered me, but. Um, that all makes it sound more negative than I really think, which is I would say I would give it a B minus C plus. Oh, also, it didn't feel unlike, like New York because it wasn't. And I think that's an important – Oh yes. I, I do yes. think that's an important thing for the movie.
2: You mean so. uh, – Davindra, you don't eat Papa John's all the time when you're in New York? <laughs> I do. And my Times Square somehow has like uh, Boston cobblestones on it. <laughs> I don't know what's
0: that's, up with that. That's true. And there's also lots of ads for Blu-ray and Crackle in, uh, yeah, in Times yeah. Square apparently as Weird. well. Uh, anyway, Jeff Nada, your yes, thoughts on the new Ghostbusters?
1: Well, I people who have listened to this show or listened to last week's episode know <laughs> that Peter Serretta teed us up pretty well, lowering the bar. You know, He, he came on and, and he said he did not like it. He actually
0: he, also wrote an article at SlashFilm.com called Why I Was Disappointed With the New Ghostbusters. Right. Because we really needed to hit that point home I think <laughs>
3: Yeah. And I, 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 you know,
1: I was very worried I was very worried uh, as a massive fan of the, the concept uh, I, and a fan of these four women I think they're all hilarious Well, I've never been that huge of a Melissa McCarthy fan I think she's funny I didn't love Spy I, you know, I haven't loved all her movies but you know, when she's good she's very good but the other three I just think the world of um, and I wanted this to work and I was really worried that it wasn't going to and i laughed my ass off in this movie i will venture this you guys will probably shoot down this idea but i have a theory my theory is one of the very first jokes that happens in this movie is a fart joke yes. and i believe it is a litmus test as to whether or not you are going to enjoy this movie or not <laughs> that that when that moment happened i laughed Because I think it's a well-crafted, it's a base, you know, kind of easy joke, but it worked for me. I thought it was pretty well, you know, it came out of nowhere and it was funny. And for the rest of the movie, I was laughing my ass off, having a great time. I came home, a buddy of mine saw it recently, um, Anthony Carboni, and he and I were texting quotes from the movie back and forth. I, I had so much fun with these characters. I had such a great time hanging around with them. laughing about the things that they were saying and doing. That's what I loved about it. I thought the uh, special effects were fantastic. I thought the action set pieces were really cool. I do have some big gripes, but ultimately I, about two thirds of the way through this movie, I said to myself, if there had never been a Ghostbusters and this had come out and I was eight or whatever it was when I saw the first Ghostbusters, I would love this concept just mm-hmm. as much as I do now. It, it infused a, a sense of joy and fantasy in me in the same way that that original movie did. Because it's people that I want to hang out with doing a thing that is fantastic and spectacular and clever. And, and it, it works. It, it really worked for me. Now, here are some of my gripes. Mm-hmm. The things that I think it's missing that the first movie did so well – and I kind of referenced this earlier. I love that blue-collar nature of the Ghostbusters. That working class. These are just garbage men, but instead of picking up garbage, they're picking up you know, spirits from the netherworld, yeah. right? But they were all scientists. Originally. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's
3: so weird because they're scientists. No, I, no, no. I, no, I know. I, ca- but, I agree with you, but they're they're like blue-collar scientists, which is odd,
1: right? No, but but what I'm saying is they they start a small business, right? These are entrepreneurs. These are these are blue collar sort of guys trying to make it with a business. And I never got a sense of that with these women. I never, there was, it was trying to do something a little different. And I never understood like where they got their money or how, you know, that there was even a worry about money or that there was even sort of a business plan or any of the, I I wanted to have some sense of, of them. And I think (laughs) in in a related way, because there aren't really rules uh, like that. In a related way, the other thing the first movie did really well that I think this movie doesn 't do as effectively is create w- rules for the fantasy and i I always harp on that in any kind of uh, you know genre film because I think that really makes or breaks that kind of experience and you know in in the first Ghostbusters, there was this sense that there's this like level of occult and uh, this this astral plane that's always been there, and these are the only guys that are sort of can tap into you know the crazy dudes that wrote you know Tobin's Spirit Guide and you know he oh I looked in Tobin's Spirit Guide and I found all these references to it. I found the the way that you know this these these plans this blueprints were of this building no one's ever done it like this you know like this idea that there is this subculture or or hidden world underneath all of it that has rules and has gods and Zul and all this stuff this movie establishes n- not much of that, right? There's, there's a villain that's sort of just a villain because he's a villain and ghosts are just ghosts because they're ghosts and there's not really any rules to it. And then the final thing that bugs me is in the same sense uh, of rules is ultimately they're just shooting the ghosts. They're just going to war against yeah. the ghosts. And instead yeah. of trapping them and containing them and feeling like garbage men, They are feeling like warriors. These women are just, uh, you know, destroying them with an arsenal rather than dealing with them in some sort of more interesting way. So other than that, though, I had so much fun that I would I would heartily recommend this movie.
0: You know, Jeff, uh, it's interesting you mentioned that small business aspect. That was one of my favorite elements of the original Ghostbusters. And you mentioned the montage earlier in this podcast that happens in Ghostbusters 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of that movie. And I I feel like Great. that is, you know, that is missing from this film mm-hmm. is, you know, what what level of notoriety do these Ghostbusters have? We just don't really have access to it. Those Ghostbusters from the original and how they related to New York, that was a huge part of that film. And that's just n- to completely absent from this film as far as I can tell.
3: I would have um, traded a lot of things for like a montage of them succeeding and then Cecily Strong like bullshitting with the press. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought Cecily Strong was so good in that role. And uh, yeah, that would have been great. I yeah, yeah so you're that,
1: right. There's so much of the first Ghostbusters that ha,
3: ha, I love this town.
1: You know, it's kind of how the movie ends and, you know, talking about the, you know, the the Marshmallow Man as a sailor, he's a sailor. He's in New York, you know, just get him laid. We'll be fine. Like all, <laughs> like it is New York. It's so infused with right, New yeah. York.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of absent largely from this film. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Joanna. What are you going to say?
3: Um, well, what I was going to say—it's so funny that you talk about sort of a blue-collar approach versus whatever it was here. Because what's interesting to me is that they seem to have ratcheted up the science so much for this, and 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 there have been multiple articles on Wired and a couple other places about the actual MIT scientists that they got in to talk about uh, bumping up the science. So you get give, give mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon these long monologues about like whatever it is she's working on, and I saw it actually—the lady scientist, uh, my friend who's a uh, PhD candidate—I
0: um, and- believe. It- just called scientist you know? <laughs> she's, she's, a, she's a
3: lady scientist or like a she scientist maybe uh, um, and she was like squealing with delight throughout all of those monologues and like when they mentioned faraday cages she just like she squeaked she was so happy so i was like all right well somebody is getting something out of this but i i personally wasn't so
0: divin your Hard or your thoughts on the new ghostbusters
3: yeah
2: overall i had a ton of fun with this movie but I definitely, like, everything you're bringing up, Joanna, and the downsides you're bringing up, Jeff, like, they're totally here as well. I think this movie works mainly because of this cast. Uh, Everybody just kind of is, they gel well with each other because they've also worked together for so long. Uh, I honestly did love everything Kate McKinnon has been doing. And I saw a bunch of what she did on SNL. I mean, quite honestly, not not everybody watches SNL anymore. So that's why I think a lot of people are just surprised by what they're seeing. Also, SNL hasn't been, like, super great for a very long also time. True. Also yeah. true. Also yeah, true. So yeah. It, it may not yeah, be surprising not. why most people have not discovered the glory that is Kate McKinnon. Um, but I, I think, like, co- comedically, the script is kind of all over the place. Sometimes I wish it went a little further in its humor. The editing seems a little off, too. Like, just the beats for how you transition from a joke. Sometimes it just feels like somebody says a line because it's written in the script and we pause for a minute for a second for no reason and then we jump to the next scene like there there isn't much of a continuity or energy to the film and i wish like that's something i think like maybe if uh if they had a little more time to work on it uh maybe brought in another screenwriter too because i think uh who wrote this? It was uh, Katie Dibble, Kate Dibble yeah, yeah. with Paul, Paul Feig, and yeah. she also wrote The Heat with them. And I felt like kind of the same way about that movie, right? There were a lot of things I liked about it, uh, but it just it was like totally all over the place and didn't quite like have a consistent tone, I guess. Uh, but for, you know, what it is that works, um, mostly these actors, mostly these situations, I love seeing them like put the team together. Um, in many ways, like even better than the first movie, right? Like Dave, you were complaining about how they just like, oh man, all of a sudden they're in this firehouse, uh even though they're like supposed to be like small businessmen with not much money. They somehow got this firehouse ready, and here uh they go see the firehouse and they hear the rent's like, oh fuck you, like <laughs> no. <that's laughs> Which by the way, that, you
0: know that rent is a bargain in New York City. Like the the number they got quoted, it was like twenty uh, five thousand, yeah, twenty five thousand a month. That is a, a bargain. For, for what, sure. what they were getting.
2: So um, <laughs> what's funny is in the 80s, like, that firehouse was in, like, the, a shitty neighborhood. like, right. And now that neighborhood is super nice. So <laughs> right. all of a sudden, you know, yeah, it's it's much more expensive. So I like the fact that, oh, they're stuck, like, working above a Chinese, you know, restaurant because they couldn't afford anything better. I think there's, there's a little more of a scrappiness to what they have to do. But at the same time, they're trying to be more high-minded about what being the Ghostbusters are, right? They kind of – they reluctantly came to the Ghostbusters name. because Kristen Wiig's character wanted it to be the long scientific name before that. And uh, one thing that was kind of weird, too, is that they were just, like, weirdly compliant with the government like whatever the government wants they're like all right like um yeah a cecily Strong's character is like oh yeah we're, we're gonna kind of paint you as bad guys and they're like okay all right let's let's do this uh in the first movie like one of the villains is the epa like that <laughs> yeah. is like anti-government 80s and it's kind of childish but because the, they are dealing with all this like weird unlicensed nuclear technology uh, but at the same time like there, there's a spunkiness to what they were doing and their resistance to authority. Whereas here they seem weirdly compliant, even as like the mayor's office consistently like shat on them. And that's like one of those things. I wish like they gave the characters maybe more of a backbone to kind of stand up for what they wanted to do, or I don't know, maybe had a better sense of what they want to do. Um, But yeah, I think the idea of location is an important one because the both Ghostbusters, uh, the originals are very New York movies. Like New York is part of the DNA of those movies. And I know, uh, some of the sets were in LA. I think the, uh, the lower library set and some of the stuff in Dana's apartment, like that was those were all big LA things. But most of those movies in New York, and you kind of felt it. You had those locations here. Most of the movie is definitely shot in Boston. They have some exteriors in New York, and it's really weird. Like clearly somebody else driving, you know, the uh, the car around to get those exterior shots, and then you cut to a scene where they're clearly not in a New York building or something. Uh, so those things, I just felt like they hurt the identity of the movie. It didn't feel as consistent. At the same time, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. The kids in my audience uh, really seemed to enjoy it too So I did come off with yeah, you know, I'm mostly positive on this thing. Oh,
1: right. that reminds me of a of a wonderful anecdote. Uh the the screening that I attended had uh, it was an early screening but they evidently got some um uh, Ghostbusters cosplayers to come and uh mm-hmm. there were there were four guys all in their, you know, full authentic mm-hmm. Ghostbusters uh, attire. And they were standing at the front of the movie theater and just the general audience was walking through and little kids were walking up wide-eyed. And this little <laughs> boy walked up and, uh, and, it was like, and he was like, whoa, whoa, what's that? And mom's like, oh, look, it's a Ghostbuster. And he goes, oh, that's not a Ghostbuster. The Ghostbusters are girls.
3: <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean – I was like, awesome. All the anecdotes I've heard of little girls, I mean little boys too, but like little girls who, um, I think they call them lady children, Um, (laughs) who 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 love this movie. That matters a lot to me. I think that's sure. really
2: important and cool. So. Yeah, uh, one one other thing I want to bring up: uh, we did worry about what we were seeing from Leslie Jones's character in the trailers, and they were talking. We were hoping that maybe she'd be a little more complex or something in the movie. It did kind of disappoint me that they did. They they almost repeated the Winston scenario. It took uh, forty five minutes for Winston to appear in the first Ghostbusters. Uh, they get to Leslie Jones' character much sooner, but at the same time, she is. It's sad to me that she's not on the same level, like as a character in terms of what they're writing. Like everyone is a super cool scientist or physicist or something, and uh, she's an MTA worker and just doesn't have like the same level of status. And I don't know. I feel like you could do more with it, right? This is fantasy. You could write whatever the hell you want, right, um, to make it a little more equal.
3: At her the same time, her like, superpower is supposed to be like knowing historical New York locations, also streetwise, because yeah. <laughs> Well, no, not the streetwise, but like, like that she's supposed to know like the history of the buildings right, and stuff right. like that. There but, are other ways to do
1: that for well, the, sure. With the, the uh... fact
3: that it's like the one black character is yeah. not scientist again is yeah. you know anyway she
1: does have is, some of my favorite lines in the movie though she it, is very mm-hmm. funny i thought
0: i also think yeah. they give her a lot more backstory this time than the original does like the original does for that character well he the non-scientist yeah i mean she has
2: a backstory in this she one. has a backstory <laughs> yeah. she has a couple scenes before the ghostbusters and we see her doing her job winston just kind of appears out of nowhere and he's a guy who needs a paycheck so yes it's an improvement in that respect but uh yeah i would have liked a little more I would say
0: that Ghostbusters, the new one, is the Force Awakens of the Ghostbusters
2: franchise. No! <laughs> in, the sense that, in
0: the sense that it takes the original film and uh, recreates virtually every story beat, which I know, mm-hmm. Jeff, you disputed me on Twitter about this. I think but it's uh, really wrong. I would Go say like that, so, virtually yeah. every story beat from the first one is recreated. Like Some of the locations are the same. It's basically scientists. They get washed up. Uh, they start their ghost-busting business, they encounter some things along the way, and at the end they need to try and save the city. I mean the, the broad outlines
2: of both stories are very similar. And, yeah. uh, uh, t- a normal citizen is in danger by the ghost, is like possessed, and right. they have to like self-save them by the end too, like yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and adding to that kind of comparison is the fact that the
0: film on numerous occasions uh, grinds to a halt – Mm-hmm. in order to show us a, a cameo from, uh, you know, the original Ghostbusters. And I think, uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this approach, because what we've seen in other movies like The Force Awakens is you have, or um, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, mm-hmm. is you have actors from the original come back as those characters from the original to kind of mm-hmm. hand off the baton to the new uh generation even like creed you know with rocky and stuff and um i feel like even though uh we have like too many remakes and too many use of too much usage of existing properties that by and large that works that that um approach works because we feel like oh okay yeah Uh, this character we love like it's there's something for the old generation something for the new generation and in this movie they they didn't do any of that they just inserted these uh, actors in in just random roles Uh, and if you know the originals and you're like oh hey it's the person from the original Um, Mm -hmm. but those characters that the actors are playing don't really do much to further the plot and um, for someone like myself who's familiar with the original film it just kind of was a huge distraction
1: for me. Uh, I, I think you can only say that about one of them there's only one of them that we spend any time with and that's you know Bill Murray. Uh, Bill Murray. Yeah. Everybody else is um such a minor moment. It, it it really is almost an Easter egg. Like it, you wouldn't even had you not known that they were in the movie, you you wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Uh, but like, it feel-
3: but but like, did not your soul die a little when Denacroy's <laughs> like, I ain't afraid of no ghosts? Like, really, <laughs> Dan?
2: I, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's weird because I actually uh, Force Awakens is probably a good comparison, but I think. That movie worked on a narrative level much more than this one does. Because even though it repeated so many of the same beats, it did enough that was new that I felt like, oh, I'm on a new adventure here, even though I'm with the same old characters. And I I think what happened is that they, you know, um, Ivan Reitman had the plan to, like, do a Ghostbusters 3 with everybody. And then Harold Ramis died and, like, everything kind of fell apart. And they, from what I just, what it seems like is that they couldn't do, like, a direct sequel or even, like, a sequel in time. With those little characters, because nobody wanted to do it without Harold Ramis around, and that's a shame but yeah if you're going to do that like I don't know make these nods a little more subtle yeah. because uh, it feels like it was so restricted by the first movie even though it was also trying really hard to be different from the first movie
1: right. I, I just know. want to know what Rick Moranis is doing like get that guy on yeah. the phone he's basically he's,
2: retired at
0: this
1: point he's, he's taking doing
3: a lot care of his voice kids.
1: Acting. kids yeah he keeps shrinking them
3: <laughs> no like Rick Moranis is like this great Hollywood story where like he retired from acting when mm-hmm. his wife died to take care of his kids and just like walked away from it all he was supposed to be in city slickers like he was supposed mm-hmm. to be in all this stuff and he just like walked away sorry i I'm care so a lot sad. about Saint no Rick i care I care, oh. I care
2: about that too like <laughs> you hear his voice in some animated movies like that's how he's paying the bills now
3: yeah. um but the uh i thought the annie potts cameo really worked so it was good so fast yeah she was like doing some phone stuff which is what janine does and it was just like really fast and yeah. i think that's the best and, and all of and them were grinds.
1: fast except bill murray everybody was fast except bill murray
3: no, well, Dan Ackroyd's would have worked if he hadn't said that stupid line. His was nice and fast. If he hadn't said that stupid line, Ernie Hudson was okay. And then Sigourney Weaver was like, was made, made like no sense to me at yeah. the end. I've I was seen, like, uh, what yeah. does that mean? Safety lights are for dudes. What does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs>
0: I've seen people also get really upset at Bill Murray's cameo in this film. Uh, just that kind of his character represents like a, a complete repudiation of yeah. everything that's come before. I mean, I didn't take it. Like That's that, kind of fun of it. you know. Yeah, yeah, he's having fun with uh, his, like, his perso- Bill Murray's persona. As Bankman universe. was a big believer,
2: either. Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. So. This is
0: what Bankman might have become if he hadn't been, been part of the <laughs> Ghostbusters. Um, but uh, you know, this movie, uh, like the Force Awakens, it does things better than the original. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the technology is cooler. Special effects look great, and there's a certain tactile nature to uh, the f- ghost busting in this film that I just don't feel is there in in the original Ghostbusters. Well, yeah, because like,
2: they're actually busting them. Yeah, so. there's actually, like, a
0: one-to-one... <laughs> there's a one-to-one kind of connection between, like, what they're doing with the proton packs and the proton mm-hmm. guns and, like, what's actually happening to the... Go- like, you feel like the action just makes a lot more sense in this movie. Uh, at least I felt that way. Um, mm-hmm. So there's just kind of, like, this tactility to it that I, I really enjoyed. Um, so... Yeah, there, there are a lot of things to like about uh, the new film, but um, I felt like it suffered from a lot of the problems of the original first uh, first film as well, which is just like uh, the the plot feels very jarring and abrupt, like as an example. Firstly, like we've, we've thrown out the uh, the cameos out there as like things that if they weren't cameos, if these were just like random ass actors that you had no idea who they were, um, then I just don't think those parts would really work. Like the Bill Murray part, I just don't think... We would just be scratching our head being like, why did they introduce that character? Like, it just, I just don't think it would work if it wasn't for those specific actors. Uh, and so on one level, there's that. And then on another level, there's just like random-ass shit happens uh, with no explanation. Like, oh, hey, uh, here's a scene where we're testing out all these ghost weapons for some reason, because I want to cheer you up after that negative meeting we had. In an had. alley.
3: Yeah. yeah, in an
0: alley. It's just like stuff like that that just kind of happens uh, abruptly that feels like it's it's there
2: because it's in the script and not because it's organic to But they they re- have to use those ghost those ghost weapons you love, Dave, that tactility <laughs> that you love. They kinda <laughs> have to set it up somewhere. Right? Oh yeah, they they had to set it up. I'm
0: just saying I didn't feel very organic to me the way they set it up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I did uh, like the
3: ghost the ghost paper shredder or the ghost wood that chipper. Was fun. That was fun. fun.
1: Yeah. Although
3: that that felt like it's a ghost
1: p- wood chipper, and then it's like I'm going to use the ghost wood chipper, and then that, that's yeah. it. There's like there's no, there's no surprise. Yeah, and why
3: would you use the ghost wood chipper on everything? Yeah, no, all, all I all the
1: time. Yeah,
3: all the time. No, I agree with you. The I thought the final action piece where they're busting all those ghosts in the streets, like that didn't feel yeah. like Ghostbusters to me. It felt like. Like with the the original, both the original and the second, they had to use their brains. I think it felt like a bit more right. than the scientist did. That the, these science, that, that this is an action movie, whereas Ghostbusters always felt like a horror comedy to me, and less of like a pure balls out action movie. Right
1: they were they were un, unwieldy these these devices that they were holding, and they were sort of ill equipped to deal with it. Right. And it was uh-huh. it was all you know whoa, whoa whoa nice shooting Tex you know all of that like craziness. And here by the end, I'm conflicted because I had so much fun watching that sequence because it's so well executed and the choreography of the fighting is great. The look of the ghost is amazing, that neon world that they've created and yeah, I love how it. everything works together. But, but by the same token, it's just, as you said, an action sequence where we're going to war against the ghosts. And it's
2: another CG third act action sequence. Yeah. I, I will what say what really
0: did work for me in the film that we haven't mentioned yet, which uh, I was surprised how well it worked for me given how down Peter was on this, but I thought the Chris Hemsworth character was awesome. and just hilarious. It's like, just yeah. a perfect... Realize it's like, um, yeah, like you said, Devinder, during that podcast, that is the joke that women so often are relegated to just set dressing in these films. And why not take that to the nth degree? And that's exactly what this movie does. And it's hilarious how uh, – and, and Joanna, like you, you you, tell me if I am right to perceive things in this way, okay? As someone who's keenly attuned to these issues, but basically –
3: Someone who has ovaries. As okay. someone who
0: has ovaries, uh, uh-huh. it, it, it is hilarious to me how like a lot of – uh, guys, the you know the vast majority of people writing movie reviews are guys. Uh, we saying like, man, I, I was surprised at how man hating this movie was. You know, <laughs> with this Head the Chris Hemsworth character and and the one note villain, and then how they dispatch of the villain at the end of the movie. And man, like, what a man hating movie. And I guess my reaction to that is just like. Hey, welcome to how women have felt for a really, really, really long time when it comes to yeah. summer blockbusters. Um, but did you feel that way at all? Or is it just me that uh, experienced well,
3: it? as a lady podcaster <laughs> and <a> pop culture <laughs> commenter, um, I, I see your point, but... I would also say that I do think – and Paul Feig has confirmed this. A friend of mine wrote a piece about this and he said, yeah, you nailed it. So uh has confirmed that the villain of this piece is basically entitled – toxic masculinity yeah. like it's not just like these are one note characters like the bad guy is like
0: he is the embodiment of an internet commenter pretty much. Yeah, yeah he is so if yeah. they're they like,
3: mentioned
2: reddit at one point in the movie
0: oh yeah they
3: talk about reddit they talk about youtube comments mm-hmm. you know like all this stuff like that like it's definitely very pointed yeah so it is this, like a
2: direct attack
0: right so that, those yeah. people
3: are feeling attacked Yes, you are being attacked. Yeah. Um, but to your point about like, you know, uh, one dimensional characters or like, you know, Chris Hemsworth playing the himbo when so many women have had to play the bimbo. Like, yeah, that's just turnabout is fair play. Yeah, but- I think it's
0: totally fair play. But here's what's not fair play, guys. Yeah. Here's what's not fair play. Chinese people being completely invisible in this film, <laughs> despite them living above a Chinese restaurant. What now, do you I, mean? Their,
1: food, their <laughs> food boxes are in the movie, Dave. What else do you want?
0: <laughs> I, you know, all I was, all I cared about was when that delivery person got to them for the first time. I was like, please don't have a weird accent. Please don't have a weird accent. Please don't have a weird accent. And he didn't. And I was like, hooray, victory! You know, <laughs> like, he also, also wasn't was Chinese. He also yeah. wasn't Chinese, but you know, whatever. Like, because I I think that actor is in Deadpool, and he does have a uh, funny accent in that film. Yes, and so.
3: Well, but he's also isn't he also in Safety Not Guaranteed and is like actually a character in Safety Not Guaranteed <laughs> I and as uh, so, like I when he shows up now. when he shows up as like slight riffs on cab drivers and f- food delivery guys I'm like uh, the first time I yeah. saw you you were actually a character <laughs> now you're in cell phone commercials and you're the taxi driver and that bums me out. So. Speaking
0: wow. of cell phone commercials, uh, <laughs> there is a, a sketch on Amy Schumer about the mobile sea girl. Uh, which stars the villain character in this film, uh, the actor whose name I am struggling to remember right now. Neil Casey. Neil Casey plays the director of a uh, mobile phone commercial in an Amy yeah. Schumer sketch, and he is incredible in that film, basically, or in that sketch. It's basically like an imagining of, you know, have you guys seen those like T-Mobile or AT&T uh, commercials that's basically like just some weird suburban dude interacting with like the T-Mobile girl. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, this Amy Schumer sketch reimagines that. I'll link to it in the show notes, but it is amazing. And uh, Neil Casey is is like an incredible... Like that was my first exposure to his work on the Inside Amy Schumer show. And I think he does like way better in that than he did in this film. Just because he wasn't given that much to do. I, I, but, you know, Joanna, to your point, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think... The movie gives male entitlement slash internet commenter slash, you know, uh, anti-SJW troll about as much depth as it should, Um, (laughs) and I was okay with it. Um, Well,
1: you know, the end of the original Ghostbusters is a female becomes a (laughs) beloved childhood icon to these men in order to destroy them. So, you know. It all it all works. It's fair. <laughs> well,
3: the, the other the other the um, symbol that my coworker Richard Lawson came up with, who liked this film even less than I did, I think. He's uh, he was talking about how. That the film was like being threatened to be destroyed by this symbol of the original, right? Like this big right. towering symbol of mm. the original that you couldn't possibly get, like, live up to it, is what was coming after them. And I think that that's apt, that there are just so many ways, like uh, – I wish this film had disconnected itself more from the original and, like, left Mm -hmm. the callbacks out. Uh, Like, just have the same logo. You don't need to do a lot of, like, stepping around while you have the same logo. Just have the same logo. It doesn't matter. Like, Like, let's let's change
2: up the structure of the movie. How about that?
3: Well, the structure, different. the structure would be one thing, but it, for me, it was yeah. more the superficial, the like, the cameos and the and the overt mm-hmm. callbacks that that really dragged it down for me. We, and I we just, can,
2: uh, I, didn't, I guess, we're already sort of yeah, into we're kind of warnings. already in spoilers oh. already. So, but yeah. the uh, okay, so yeah,
1: the did you see it? There's a, a, the a like a soft spoiler warning. a <laughs> oh, spoiler warning. What? <laughs> hey, we've already screwed it up anyway.
0: <laughs> Here we go.
2: Everyone's already seen it. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll the,
0: put a the, I'll put a warning at
2: the beginning of the episode. It's yeah the post uh, credit scene yeah. is probably the worst example of a post credit <laughs> uh, like potential sequel setup uh, that i've ever seen it is yeah, pretty bad it, it is pretty rough
0: that yeah. post credit sequence is pretty rough i mean yeah. just like a a blatant
2: and like direct callback to the original i, I groaned internally <laughs> when that happened but also it also it almost seems like a rebuke of that whole idea of the post credit scene. It's like, okay, hey guys, we have five minutes. Uh, l- l- let's do some shit. Let's, let's do a thing. And put it at the end of the movie. Make those fuckers <laughs> sit. Yeah. Uh, they yeah.
0: Have
3: just had Chris Hemsworth dancing more. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was uh,
0: disappointed that that sequence wasn't in, in the uh, in the actual film confused. itself. It
3: was yeah. so weird because I like yeah. when. When it happened in the movie, I was like, okay, there was clearly a dance sequence here that got cut for some reason. (laughs) But then it, like, showed up in in the credits. I was like, okay, well, at least they used the footage. But, yeah, maybe they just had to, like, cut it for time it wasn't working or something which is
2: weird that that would have been like a fun little different thing to kind of show instead of all the callbacks right
3: yeah yep sure would michael um, k williams good yep. times you, you had how many extras
2: doing this <laughs> very <laughs> complex choreography dance and it's cut
3: can really? you imagine no but can you imagine if it had been cut entirely like yes, as i was watching yes. the closing footage the the credits i was like they are so glad that this at least made it in there <laughs> to learn all this choreography <laughs> poor matt walsh was like i learned a lot of things guys Keep it
0: in. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, uh, did it bother anyone else that the villain could apparently control all these people's bodies, but didn't do that to the Ghostbusters?
1: Yeah, I did uh, think of that and went, well,
2: "Why didn't he yeah, just? Why didn't snap he just? His fingers? He's yeah. a
0: sexist asshole. <laughs> he, he doesn't think he the, the woman only can the be men stopped. Can do it. Yeah, he thinks only the men <laughs> the can stop, stop him. You're right. You no, know, actually, that's that's actually not implausible, Devendra. So yeah. Okay, so since we're talking about spoilers, I will bring up the biggest disappointment of the film for me, uh, which also shows kind of one of the one of the movie things that the movie could have done well but didn't. I sent you guys this article by Matt Zoller Seitz writing about uh, what you know what's the the culture war elements of this movie are and and how um, like ultimately this movie represents the idea that women can endure. Uh, despite all the insults and horrible things that get thrown at them, like that they like these women are just hey, they're very good natured. They're just going to get the job done, and that kind of is uh, in- encapsulates the film itself. You know, going up against all these internet trolls. But one of the things that he mentions in this article, which again I'll link to in the show notes, is this very last moment in the film when Kristen Wiig's character goes after Melissa McCarthy's character uh, into the vortex, and how. Uh, like that moment would have meant so much more. It would have been like a knockout, like, wow, you're, you're in tears moment if the movie had done a little bit more to develop these characters uh, mm-hmm. and develop their relationship. And you get a little bit of a taste of it uh, at the beginning when they have that argument about the book, but that's basically it. And there's not much more than that. And, it, you know, someone brought up like the ghost in the opening scene gets more character development than, you know, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy's character True. in some ways. And, uh, and that was a disappointment for me because it felt like something that this movie could have done way better than the original, like develop the relationship between these people because they're such an amazing cast, these four uh, actors uh, in the new one. And, uh, and it kind of whiffs it, you know, like did any of you kind of shed a tear at that last moment when she goes into the vortex after her friend?
2: It was I mean it no, was no. it was a nice moment but I wish it were built up.
0: Like, like it, it could scene. have been like wow that like knocked you on like off your feet and like that's why this new one is in some ways better least, than the original. Or maybe you know?
2: she goes and she loses her there, and that's the end of the movie. Right, and that's the end. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. It's then it's everyone the cries. or
3: something like that. But right, like, yeah. What's interesting to me, I'm very curious to know, Paul Feig someday will give this, like, fully uncensored <laughs> interview, but he did, he was talking to Jenny Yamato at the Daily Beast about how, basically, Kate McKinnon's character was gay, but the studio, I mean, he... He winked and nodded towards the fact that Kate McKinnon's character was gay and that the Mm -hmm. studio wouldn't let that fly. But he also talked about the relationship between Kate McKinnon and Melissa McCarthy in a a way that implied to me that not only was Kate McKinnon gay gay, but like that they were gay together. And so like Mm -hmm. if there was a whole plot about their relationship – and maybe how that would have affected her friendship with Kristen Wiig, which is like seems almost like bridesmaid territory in terms mm-hmm. of like exploring con- complex female friendships and stuff like that. You know that that got cut out because it you know it wasn't allowed in. But but I mean, what is interesting to me mm-hmm. is that. There was no like boyfriend character for you know, Kristen Wiggs or Julian Chris Huswerp. There was no like love interest really, uh, so without this lesbian subplot. And and there also wasn't really a plot outside of them of their ghost busting world either. Like in both movies Sigourney Weaver brings in this sort of external plot, both with like, um, the, her baby and the art museum and stuff like that, and then like, the symphony and, and her neighbor, Rick Moranis. Like, there's this outside world that sort of encroaches, and this movie doesn't have that. What about Chris
0: Hemsworth's musical interests, guys? Who's his, gonna pay attention to that? His
3: shirtless saxophoning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
3: There should have been uh, a know,
0: subplot I, about how he plays nightclubs. Anyway. I
1: think you make really great points, uh, and and I, I you know I agree. I, I I think actually one of the reasons I bristle at Dave saying you know it's a it's a point by point remake of the of the first movie is that there's no Dr. Venkman character. Nobody is that character. Mm-hmm. I, I know that. Uh, Um, we're supposed to think that each of the four roles is, you know, pasted over, you know, uh, one to one, but it really isn't that way. There is no aloofness. There's no character that needs to be brought into this story. She's, she's brought in, but she, she's the one that started it, right? It's not like she's an outside looking in kind of casting a sideways glance at this whole situation. It's, it's that she, you know, she has to be reminded what she started. She is. The Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis character as well. She's not the Bill Murray character.
0: Yeah, and, and to, fine, the film, yeah, to the film's credit, Jeff, you know that is a really good point. Is that they didn't feel the need to just re- redo the same characters from Ghostbusters yeah. One. These yeah. are really distinct characters. I mean, sure, you know, Kristen Wiig's character works at a university, same you know as the first film. But uh, like the personas are different. Their names are different. They didn't use like. You know, fem- feminized versions of the original names like Egonia. <laughs> like, like,
1: like, have we ever Venkman? seen that? <laughs> whole lady, whole lady Venkman. you lady know, Vanke woman. You know,
0: they didn't do Venk woman or anything <laughs> like
2: that, so that's good. Um, I mean, yes, they didn't. They didn't do the absolutely worst possible.
3: <laughs> think of, yes, David. Yes. But I mean, um, Kate McKinnon's character's like look is so clearly modeled on the yeah. cartoon Egon, which is awesome. Oh yeah, it is. awesome. Yeah. It is it is, awesome. It is. yeah. And I love,
2: it's more about, like, what she brings to it than, yeah, what's actually written in the script is, like, her little, like, her little... Uh, her, the things that, uh, Peter actually brought up that annoyed him, but her facial expressions and the way she just approached every scene, oh was, God. she was so unpredictable. And that's like, that, that's kind of what you need. Cause the first movie too, the first time seeing it, the, we hadn't seen anything like that before. And that's, you know, an experience you kind of treasure. Uh, I have to say, I also don't mind the fact that, yeah, there aren't many direct parallels in terms of characters uh Venkman as a character we like him because he's Bill Murray we like him because he's Bill Murraying all over the place but Venkman as a character as we've described kind of deplorable not a great scientist even as as a a
1: ghostbuster as a function of the plot he would make as a function
2: of the plot sure but even even in the point like he's the doubter when he is faced with like a ghost right in front of him like actual (laughs) evidence he he just Bill Murray's it off like (laughs) Bill Murray cool he's not like oh my god what the fuck guys i, I, I uh, like w- your copious use I, of I bill murray kristen as a. Uh, I, I
0: like your copious use of bill murray as a verb davindra that's yes. pretty awesome
2: i mean that he is yeah check the dictionary dave uh <laughs> but i do like that kristen Wiig at least had that moment of like going from doubter to full-on believer uh whereas bill murray just slowly like kind of got there but was too cool to even admit it when there was a ghost right in front of fucking him yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah um yeah. Uh,
0: but you know one thing that this this movie does have going for it is uh the characters do author a book called ghost from our past both <laughs> literally and figuratively the hey, study so of right. the paranormal you
3: guys that's my favorite joke and i left every time i saw that book cover every single time <laughs> uh, so i'm many, sorry there's so
2: many my great cat, jokes my cat <laughs> chris hemsworth gets the best joke
3: no and it's my
2: cat like
1: I, my favorite joke is do you know how many regulations you're breaking One, <laughs> two. <laughs> One.
3: Actually, uh, my my favorite joke was Andy Garcia saying, "Don't compare it to the mayor from <laughs> Jaws." <laughs> like, yeah, that delivery weird. killed me.
1: Or that's that's like the third scariest thing on that subway train. <laughs> <laughs> so many. There, do you, this movie is is quotable, like the first movie. It's really funny. It's smart humor. Even I think even the fart joke is think is smart. It, <laughs>
2: It's, I, it's not, I, e- not even a fart joke. It's a, it's a little different. Yeah. yeah.
1: Could
0: be a queefing <laughs> joke, Jeff. It, it is a queefing joke. <laughs> All right. Came from the
3: front. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought oh that, like, God. I was actually laughing before the fart. You said the fart <laughs> joke was the first joke. I love Zach Woods. So when mm-hmm. Zach Woods shows at the beginning, I was like, this is the best way to start this movie. It's <laughs> <That was great. laughs> with Zach Woods. But, uh, and the first yeah. ghost
1: we see is spectacular looking. Yeah. The, just the look of that first ghost, I just was knocked over. By the way, did you guys watch this movie in 3D? Because I thought the no. 3D was fantastic.
0: No. I did I watch it in 3D good. and they did this cool effect where yeah. uh, they blacked out the bottom and top of the screen so that, like, just like put Letter little box. bars. Yeah, letterbox. box. Um, and then like like things in 3D would come out over that those black bars so was to make awesome. it to make it, it feel like, like it's even more like immersive yeah
1: yeah like the, like proton streams or something would break that you know third wall fourth yeah. wall whatever you want to call it, the the uh letterboxing and it would it really Gave it a majesty in it. Yeah, it really it. added to it, yeah. It was awesome. The, the three, yeah. It
0: is among the best 3D I've seen mm-hmm. in films for quite a while. So, Avatar
2: did that, too, I believe, too. Like, the effects going off-frame a little. So yeah. that's
0: I'm not, I don't know if I remember that. But, yeah, uh, 3D was great. And That movie had no cultural relevance. To
2: it. <laughs> the movie... I, this one certainly <laughs> will have more. I don't know.
0: The, the movie looks great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I love the design of it, The the color. You know, it just... Looks like a fully realized world in a way that is separate from from the original film. So- I
2: I'd, I'd have to disagree with you a little though, there, Dave. I, I think I wonder if you're just spoiled or you're used to the uh, the modern look of movies and special effects, right? Because I know a lot of the special effects in the first Ghostbusters don't quite work. But the thing is, Paul Feig's movies like he is not a visual stylist like yeah. at all, and he's slowly gotten a little better. I think Spy had some great moments, although not not even that like it's kind of just rough this movie it feels like it does a serviceable job outside of the special effects in terms of like framing the shots oh we should should
0: say visual effects by the way visual effects but yes sorry yes
2: okay dave okay (laughs) but yeah outside of the effects i think the movie does a good like doesn't do as good a job of like actually you know framing these heroes actually doing something cool with them and that's Ivan Reitman also not a huge visual stylist, but he there was at least more going on there in that first Ghostbusters. The heroic way that they you know they actually show the guys them running down the street with the uh, the first trap, right? That sort of thing. Like those images are iconic. I can't think of too many like actual things that look very iconic in this movie. Mm,
1: okay, no, there's there's some great stuff at the end. I, I thought the the shot underneath them uh, that sort of threw plexiglass of them squished by the, the big mm-hmm. big uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man balloon. Which,
0: by the I'm, way, I mean that was just hilarious. another real uh, – no. I mean I, I, thought, I thought that was <laughs> just was like another there. like incredibly unnecessary callback to the first one. That doesn't even make sense. I mean who – They're ghost balloons, OK? Just beyond, ghost balloons. beyond people knowing it from that film, does anyone even know – what stay puff marshmallows are like does anyone even recognize that brand it is just like such a blatant it feels like the movie is slavishly attached to the original in a way that i think hinders it in some ways but it also you know the yeah, movie yeah, this movie yeah. also surpasses
2: it in some ways I, i'm so. more confused by the idea of ghost balloons Cause did the ghosts yeah,
3: possess the balloon? The balloon? <laughs> or are
2: the ghosts actually balloon ghosts? Well, yeah. I mean,
3: like, the thing is, a Stay of Marshall is not real. It's yeah. a Ghostbusters universe thing. So it's like as if a giant Apollo bar came out and like quashed them or something like that. And it's just like or whatever it is in Cloverfield. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. I don't. Very like
1: surprised it. that <laughs> at no point in the movie did they ever say don't cross the streams. Which yeah, that was interesting, yeah. and also you know the, that first movie does such a wonderful setup payoff of that, where mm. the final solution is to actually cr- cross the stream. So, so, right, there,
2: there, um, there's a mass Syria slight reference in this,
1: right, which I thought was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know the the kind of attempt at that setup and payoff is a kind of sideways comment about how there's a nuclear reactor on the top of the car, and then that ends up being the. Secret right. to the solution, but I felt like that could have been handled in a much more clever, surprising way, and I wish it had.
3: Like the like the scene in the original Ghostbusters when they're talking about having nuclear reactors on their back, and like yeah. Ray turns elevator. his on, and the other two like sort of shy away.
1: So it's good,
2: great. A, a great a great way to portray like if they did a direct sequel is just like they're all dealing with radiation poisoning because <laughs> <laughs> how how can you live you know decades after handling that equipment.
0: Come on. To to your uh, point from a few minutes ago, though, Davindra, I I do kind of agree that beyond the visual effects and set pieces, uh, the the kind of visual sense of this film is not super strong. Uh, I watched recently this show called The Night of on HBO, which I think I think by this moment in this in the podcast I will have already spoken about, Um, but uh, because we're recording this actually before the (laughs) other thing, anyway, uh, and. That show has been referred to as over-directed, which I think uh, I I would agree with uh, in some ways because there's a lot of, like, masturbatory, shallow depth-of-field shots that feel unnecessary to the story. But then uh, in the second episode, there was a sequence where these two characters are having a conversation. I'm going to be very vague. Um, And they're just having a conversation. And one of the characters is just doing his – like, going about doing his day-to-day job while this other character is sitting behind bars. And – just the blocking of that and the way that the cadence of that conversation, it just, there's so much you can say about these characters that's in their actions and not just their words. And I feel like Paul Feig largely hasn't, uh, you know, used uh, a lot of those tools. You know, a lot of the, uh, scenes in this movie are just like shot, reverse shot or wide shot, you know, with two or three people in it and just them interacting for a bit, you know? And, um, and that is kind of disappointing in some ways that, like, beyond the visual effects, visually the movie is not that interesting. Mm-hmm. And, I, um, and
3: I think I agree that the, I thought the visual effects were, were quite good. And I know a lot of people compared it to, I think, what, the Disney Disney Tower of Terror or the Haunted Mansion or whatever. They didn't like the neon look of it, but I quite liked it. But I think anything that is that too effects-reliant, and you can't be a ghost Ghostbusters movie without being effects-reliant, but anything that's too effects-reliant is not – ultimately gonna age well, right? Mm-hmm. Like ultimately those ghosts are not gonna look good to us. Um just like yeah, the original it, doesn't it, look it, good to Dave. In the future
0: in the future, <laughs> future we'll have mastered the art of photorealistic ghosts uh that <laughs> in look in very case, much like the real thing. So yeah. ghosts that <laughs> actually
3: make you the hairs on your arm stand up. Yeah,
0: that's right. I don't know. That's yeah. right. Who knows? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, f- I feel like actually the ghost effects in the original were really awesome. So, uh, But you're right. It's very possible this won't age well. We'll find out in 10 years. We'll check back then on the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> any uh, any closing thoughts, guys? Sounds like Joanna and I weren't huge fans of it. Devendra and Jeff were. I um, yeah, liked it. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, Jeff liked it a lot more, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah I, re- uh, I really thought it was a blast. I had a great time. I mean, the- and I had, you know, gripes, but... I'm so
3: glad. Like, I've never been happier for people to like a movie that I didn't like. It makes (laughs) me really happy.
0: But, Joanna, did you feel – I mean, did you feel any of the quote-unquote pressure that came with this movie? Like, if I was – like, if there was a movie that was, like, all Asian guys headlining it, you know, (laughs) it's like if they spent $150 million and it's the first time they've done something like this, I would be like, man, if I don't like this, I'm going to feel pretty bad afterwards. Uh and I mean did you feel like something like anything was at stake you know in terms of how this movie was received or how well it did for you
3: Um I had I have great emotional stakes in how well it does at the box office And how well it's received generally, critically. So uh, I wish it had done a little bit better financially this weekend. And uh, it didn't tank, but, you know, it could have done better. And uh, it's probably not going to open in China. That's still the word, right? So that really, really hinders its ability to do super well.
0: That is their Um, punishment for not having any Asian people in the film.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm worried about that. Uh, But I I am glad that the critical consensus seems to be, you know, with outliers like Peter or Michael, like Richard or myself, (laughs) that's like (laughs) a solid B, B plus, something like that I think is what people are giving it. Um, Personally, as a, a lady podcaster, I did go in wanting to like it. I went in – I I was in such a good mood, A, and B, I really wanted to like it and I didn't. And when I came out, some guy on Twitter was like, well, maybe you should see it again and give it a chance. And I was like, <laughs> no, the circumstances could not have been better for me to like this movie. Like uh, it had all the chances for me and that's fine. I'm glad that – I'm glad that it's doing well enough that I can just say – treat it like any other movie which is what feminism is about it's about equality like when i was on here last year talking about Jurassic world and i torched it because i hated it uh you know like i i would like the ability to do that for female-led blockbusters too like ideally someday we'll get to that point
0: my uh female companion with whom i saw this film uh she is super invested in in the success of this movie she's checking the imdb rating Every right. hour, to, to, <laughs> because she wants it to go up. And, it's at currently 5.0. because that's a
3: fool's errand, because that's rigged.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it got bombarded with some really yeah. negative uh, reviews, even before the film came out. Uh, but it's slowly making its way upward. And uh, and so yeah, I mean, I just think yeah, there is a lot of investment in how well this does, and and I hope it does well. I I really do hope it does well. I just personally wish the movie had been better uh, myself, but I know you know Jeff had a great time at it. So
3: if it if it does well, that opens the door for better movies in my my, by my metric of better, better movies with female leads, you know, to be made.
2: So. And I, I do hope it opens the door for, like, maybe a sequel where they actually can be different right. and do something really different and, uh, I don't know, play around with this universe a little more. Yeah.
0: Although the uh, stinger at the end credits, you know, after the credits, does not bode well up, for serve. that.
2: It
0: could be anything. It could be anything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's uh, going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find more episodes at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Joanna Robinson, thanks for bravely stepping on to uh, review this with us. Uh, Really appreciate it. As usual, where can people find more of your work on the internet?
3: Uh, You can find me on VanityFair.com. I will be going to Comic-Con in a couple days, so you can follow me on Twitter to find out what I discover there. Thanks. (laughs)
2: Devendra, how about you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Devendra, and I read about tech at Engadget.com. Jeff Kanata?
1: Oh, you can always uh, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, and I have several other shows for you to check out including uh, DLC, which is my video game show. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, Tomorrow Daily is a tech show I do on CNET. You can find that at tomorrowdaily.com and a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com.
0: Find all of my stuff at davechen.me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Tune in next week. We're going to be reviewing Star Trek Beyond, the newest Star Trek film directed by Justin Lin. Uh, That should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. By the way, uh, I don't know if you guys saw before we begin. Secret Life of Pets hit yeah. number three. Yeah, uh, at the box office, giving me. ICH hasn't come out yet, Dave. Giving me second place currently in the summer movie wager. Oh, you mean you mean first loser? Uh, of all the people <laughs> that are losing, I'm doing it better than anyone.
2: That's right.
0: <laughs>